And thank you all for being here today as we are starting a brand new message series. A happy new year to you all. How's everybody doing with their resolutions? Pretty good? That good, huh? That good. I made a resolution this year. I plan to de-age myself by five years. And so it's good to have realistic goals. I'll let you know how that goes by the end of the year. Uh, but here we are, a new year, a new us perhaps, excited to get started into this new year. And we are starting with a new message series. And it's all about relationships. It's called Relationship Repair. And I don't know if you realize this, but God cares a lot about our relationships. Having a relationship with us is very precious and very important to God. In fact, God has gone to great lengths to ensure that he has a relationship with us that can last forever. But not only that, our relationships with one another, they really, really matter to God. And I'm very excited to start this series because I've been working on this for really just about a year now. And that's how sometimes as a preacher, you got to plot things out in advance. And you look and say, okay, where does the holiday fall? And where do I have enough time? To, where's the best place for this? And so finally, we're getting to this content. I'm very excited to finally be sharing this content with you. But at the same time, as we got closer and closer to part one of this series, I started to dread this series just a little bit. And I'll tell you why. Because we're talking about repairing broken relationships, repairing damaged relationships. If I'm going to stand up here and talk to you about the importance of taking care of our relationships, the importance of fixing broken relationships. If I'm going to speak to you about that, I have to take a look at my own relationships and do some evaluating. How are things going? And what I can tell you is that not 100% of my relationships are in good shape. Is that shocking to find out? There are some breaks, there's some fractures, there's some damage, and there's some issues that I need to address. And as we got closer and closer to starting this series, I became aware of, oh, wow, I need to do some work in my relationships this year. In fact, that's one of my real New Year's resolutions, is to do some work on these damaged relationships. And if we're going to be honest with each other, which I know is a rare thing in church, but if we're going to be honest with each other and honest with ourselves, we have to realize that there are some damaged relationships in our lives. Listen, maybe the exception, maybe you are the exception to this, but most of us go through life and we experience some damage in our relationships. Now, here's the thing in our culture. We are pretty good about starting new relationships, right? You go to school, you go to college, you meet some people. You go to work, you meet some people, you make some friends. Not everybody's your best friend, right? And not everybody has to be your best friend. But we're pretty decent at starting new relationships. We're okay at maintaining relationships once they get started, right? And you see that person at work, and again, maybe you're not the best of friends, but you have a relationship and it goes on. We're pretty good at maintaining relationships overall, but we are terrible. We are terrible at fixing relationships once they are broken. We are terrible at repairing relationships once they are damaged. Isn't that true? Because by and large, we're just not taught how to do that. We're not taught how to repair relationships. It's not modeled for us. It's not taught to us. I mean, growing up, this is what I learned growing up. I learned that if somebody wrongs me, whether it's a friend or a family member, member of the community, member of my church, coworker, if somebody wrongs me, what I should do is just cut ties with that person. That's what I should do. That's what I was taught growing up. Not explicitly. Nobody sat me down and said, okay, Josh, here's what you need to do. You need to break relationships when things go wrong. If somebody hurts your feelings, just break ties. Nobody taught me that explicitly, but it's what was modeled for me. It's what I saw. It's what I saw in my community. It's what I saw in my own household, and I feel like it's safe to tell these stories. I mean, I saw my parents. In fact, my parents got into such a big fight with some other people that they left 
they left their church. So we're just going to sever all these relationships. And here I am as a kid thinking, what? Is that how we do this? Is that how we handle it when things go sideways? So we're just not taught how to do this. I mean, think about it. Have you ever been taught how to repair a broken relationships? And so if relationships, if they matter to God, they should matter to us. And maybe this is just the way of the world. Maybe it's just like human nature to want to break off a relationship. If someone has hurt your feelings, if someone has offended you, if someone has wronged you, maybe it's just human nature to say, well, I don't want to be around you anymore. I don't want to coexist on the same planet with you. I don't want to even acknowledge that you exist. Maybe that's just human nature. But for those of us who are Christians, for those of us who are actually following the teachings of Jesus, we have to do better than that. We can't be content to just cut people out of our lives. Relationships matter to Jesus. We have this theme verse, maybe you noticed in the back of your bulletin, the theme verse for the series it comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I mean, that's what God has given to us. This is what Jesus has given to us, the ministry or the work of reconciliation. And sometimes those of us who are Christians, we focus on that, reconciling God to man, reconciling that, what some people call the vertical relationship between human beings and our Heavenly Father. Yes, that is work that we've been called to, to share the gospel, to share the love of Jesus, to help people restore their broken relationship with God. But what about all the horizontal relationships? As we go through this series, we'll see that Jesus emphasizes those as well, to be reconciled to one another. In fact, everything Jesus has to teach us really falls into one of two categories. He's teaching us about our vertical relationship with God or our horizontal relationship with one another. All of the teachings of Jesus fall into those two categories. So relationships matter to God. Take a look at that passage in your bulletin, just a couple of verses that Lori read for us. This is from the Sermon on the Mountain. This is a teaching time. Jesus, and he's there gathering with his followers, and he's teaching them some things that they've heard before, and he's, and he's kind of correcting where they've been wrong in their thinking, where they've been wrong in their theology in this passage here. Matthew 5, beginning with verse 43, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, let's consider this in the original context. I mean, here we are. We have a group of people, the Israelites, who were being oppressed, occupied by Rome, mistreated by Rome, and outside government was there, and the Roman soldiers were there, and the Roman government was there, and you owed them taxes, and whatever they say you owe, you have to give to them, and so that was not fair, and people were being put in prison for not paying their taxes, they were being mistreated, and so they had, the Israelites, they had some real enemies in their lives. Not just somebody that cut them off in traffic or somebody that posted something nasty on social media. Like they had a real enemy in their life. And Jesus says to them, you know those Romans or those enemies or anybody who's your enemy, here's what you need to do. Love them and pray for them. Love them and pray for them. Your enemies? Maybe we need to define or perhaps redefine that, that word enemy because if I asked you this morning, hey, do you have any enemies? You'd probably say no. Well, let's think of it in a different way. Do you have anybody that's hurt you? 
Do you have anybody that's pestered you? Do you have anybody that's been rude to you? Think of it that way. Anybody who's antagonistic toward you, maybe in the past or presently, to love that person, to love that enemy, to love that person who has given you a hard time, to love that person and pray for that person. There are three different ways that we can pray for our enemies. Here's the first one. Say, dear God, please smite my enemies. That's one way, right? Please smite my enemies. You know, Jesus, I've read in the Bible that you said vengeance is, lo- is yours, and I'm not supposed to, like, get revenge myself, but that's your business, God, and so you know these people have hurt me. So just bring down your punishment on these people who have hurt me, God. That's one way that we can pray for our enemies. But that's not really praying for an enemy, isn't it? That's praying against your enemy, right? And I don't think, in fact, I'm pretty sure that's not what Jesus is talking about when he says pray for your enemies. Here's the second way that you can pray for your enemies. Father God, open their eyes to how they have wronged me. Father God, let them see the error of their ways. Father God, show them that they need to repent for how they have treated me. That's the second way that you can pray for your enemies. And let me tell you something. This is just my opinion. Take it for what it's worth. I think that's a fine way to start your prayer for your enemies. You can start there if you need to. If that's where you are emotionally, if that's where you are spiritually, if that's what you need to ask God for, okay, fine. It's a fine place to start, but don't end there. Here's the third way to pray for your enemies. Father God, you know that person that hurt me so much? You know that person that offended me, that person who wronged me? Father God, I ask you to bless them, protect them, heal them. Protect them from all forms of evil and harm. Protect them for sickness. Uh, Just let them prosper in their lives to actually pray for them. Three different ways that we can pray for enemies. We can pray for their punishment. We can pray for their repentance. Or we can pray that God would bless them. Here's the thing. Okay, a little bit of a test. If that third way of praying... You're like, well, I really can't pray that for this specific person. That's a pretty clear indication that you're holding something against that person. If there's somebody in your life and you can't ask for God to bless that person, that's a pretty clear indication that you're holding on to some kind of bitterness or resentment. So when Jesus says to pray for our enemies, I believe it's to pray for, not against, but for them. God bless this person. Take care of of this person. Again, if you need to ask God, you know, open their eyes so they repent, sure, you can start there, but don't finish there. Actually pray for that person. And if you have a tough time praying God's blessing for someone specific in your life, there's your sign that you need to forgive that person. On the cross, Jesus looks down at the people who put him there. He looks down at the Roman soldiers who physically beat him and then nailed him to that cross. He looks down at the members of the Sanhedrin that demanded he be crucified and who were mocking him as he was dying there. And Jesus prays, not against them, he prays for them. Father, forgive them, he prays. Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, they don't understand what they're doing. Now you might be thinking, well, that's Jesus and Jesus is different from us. Yes, absolutely, agreed, right? And maybe the person who hurt you, you feel like, you know what, that person, they knew exactly what they were doing. Jesus says they didn't know what they were doing, but the person who hurt me, they knew exactly what they were doing. 
I mean, those people who put Jesus on the cross, they put him there because they didn't recognize he was God. They didn't recognize he was God's one and only son. But the person who hurt me knew what they were doing. And my question for you is, did they? Did they really know? That person that offended you, did they really know the impact of their words? That person who has spread rumors about you, did they even realize in the moment that they were spreading rumors? Did that person really know just how much they were hurting you? For us to be able to say, Father God, forgive them, they probably didn't understand. They probably didn't know how much it would hurt me. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Consider this. In Acts 2, we read about the beginning of the church. And so here we are. Jesus has been crucified. He's risen from the dead. It's less than two months after the crucifixion of Jesus. And the Israelites, they're celebrating uh, this holiday called Passover. And they're all regathered. They were just there for, I'm sorry, they were just there for Passover. Now they're celebrating Pentecost. So they've all gathered together, and the Holy Spirit moves in this miraculous way, and he, he fills the disciples with power, and, and Peter begins to preach to these thousands of people who are gathered. And so many of the people that Jesus is preaching to were the very same people that demanded Jesus be crucified. And so here they are, the very same people that put Jesus on the cross. They are hearing Peter speak. They are hearing from the Holy Spirit, and they are convicted in their hearts because they realize, whoa, we just put the Son of God to death. We did it. And Scripture tells us they are pierced to their hearts. And they say, Peter, what should we do? Because the situation seemed hopeless, right? Goodness gracious, we killed God's son. What are we going to do? And I don't think anybody in this room would hold it against God if God said, I will not forgive you. You killed my son. You shed his blood. Now, future generations, I'll forgive, but not you people. But God doesn't do that. God forgives the very people that put his son to death. Not only that, some of the people that demanded for Christ's crucifixion became members of the very first church. They became members of the movement of Jesus Christ in this world. Forgiveness, who? Forgiveness matters to God. God has forgiven so much. So let me ask you the question, friends, who is it? Who do you need to forgive? Who's that person that has come to mind during this message so far? Who are those people that have come to mind during this message? Who are the people you're trying not to think about as I'm preaching this to you, all right? Who are they? Who is it that you need to forgive? Let me give it to you this way. Fill in the blank. I need to forgive blank. If you had to fill in that blank, whose name would you put in there? Ooh, that's tough, isn't it? If you had to fill in the blank, then you have to. If you had to fill in the blank, whose name would you put in that blank? I have to forgive, fill in the blank. I did that this past week, and I was shocked to discover I've got a few names there. <laughs> when I think of it that way, you know, in fact, oh boy, I've got to be careful how much I share. But there was one person, someone I'm not very close with. There was a small offense last year, and I haven't thought much about it. But if I have to fill in the blank, I realize I have to put that person's name in that blank. Because I'm holding on to some resentment and to some bitterness. And I don't like holding on to resentment and bitterness, do you? Well, maybe you do. I don't know. Everybody's different. I don't like it. And so fill in the blank. I need to forgive. Boom. Whose name goes in that blank? Who do you need to forgive? If you are not content to live with bitterness and resentment, 
I'd like to give you some ideas of how to begin that forgiveness process, right? Because it's easy for me to sit up here and say, hey, you got to forgive them. Well, how do you do it? (laughs) How do you do it? So let me give you three steps. You like a three-step plan? Let me give you three steps to forgiveness. Note takers at the ready. Here we go. Step one, how to forgive. Step one, take deserve out of the equation. Take deserve out of the equation. Forget about what that person deserves. Forget about what you think that you deserve. Well, this person deserves you know, to be punished for what they did, and I deserve you know, something good. I deserve a public apology. I deserve something. That person deserves that. I deserve this. Take deserve out of the equation. That person who wronged you, forget about what they deserve. Forget about it. Take it out of the equation. At a youth group <clears throat> this past week, apparently they had some pretty serious conversations and questions were asked. And um, you know, on the way home, Lily was talking to me about the scenario they talked through. And they were talking about well, what happens if someone who has lived just a horrible life, what if like a serial killer, right? And they've done these terrible things and they've ended these lives. And, uh, and on their deathbed, they accept Jesus as Savior. Is that person saved? And the answer is yes. Yes. And so Lily was talking to me about this on the way home. I was like, oh my goodness gracious, does that person deserve Forgiveness after all that they've done? Say, whoa, 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 hang on there, hang on there. Forget about, forget about the issue of deserve. Now, this is kind of a side topic, but Christians in the room, I want you to consider this. Sometimes, you know, in our hearts, we would never say this out loud, but sometimes in our hearts, we think we're more deserving of salvation than others. Guess what? We aren't. None of us deserve what Jesus has done for us. None of us deserve it. You know, you know the reputations that we Christians have about being judgmental? This is one of the things that we're judgmental about. We feel like, you know, I kind of deserve, you know, I'm a better person. I kind of deserve what Jesus did for me more. Than... No, 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 no. Take deserve out of the equation. You, you don't want, we don't want what we deserve. Take deserve out of the equation. When you're looking to forgive somebody else, forget about what they deserve. So that's step one, is take deserve out of the equation. Step two, choose... You've heard me say this before. Choose to cancel their debt. You know, it's amazing how many times you can read through the Gospels. I've read through the Gospels so many times that I miss this point. It's like this theme that repeats how, how when we're hurt, it's like we're owed a debt. You know, the financial terminology, the symmetry between like what we're owed, like being owed, like if somebody owes you 50 bucks, someone owes you 100 bucks, or someone owes you a debt, or someone owes you, they've wronged you. You still feel that same way, right? You feel like you're owed something. Somebody stole $100 from you or somebody said something bad about you. You feel like, well, you owe me something. You owe me something. But to make a choice, to cancel the debt. I mean, we even say that for debt forgiveness. We forgive the debt. What has that person done to you? What have those people done to you? And make a choice. Well, I'm going to cancel the debt. In the same way, if somebody owed you $1,000, you could say to that person, you know what? I'm canceling the debt. Keep it. I'm can- you have the power. You're the one that's owed, so you're the one that has the power to cancel the debt. You have the power to cancel the debt. And so, choose to cancel the debt. Here's a little exercise you can do. I've done it in the past. It might sound silly, but I've done it in the past. You sit down. Get some quiet time. Get a pen, some paper. Sit down. Or write it down. Here's what you owe me. Here's what this person owes me. Here's how they've wronged me. Take your time with it. Write it all out. This is the full list of debt. Here's what you did. Here's how you wronged me. You take a look at that piece of paper. You realize just what you are owed. And then you say, I'm canceling the debt. You tear it up. 
You burn it, throw it in the trash. Don't flush it down the toilet, though. It's not good for your pipes. One of those other two. Burn it, throw it in the trash. You, pst, pst, you don't know. I'm canceling. I'm canceling the debt. You have the power. You're the one that is owed something, so you're the one that has the power to choose to cancel the debt. Step one, take deserve out of the equation. Step two, choose to cancel the debt. Step three, pray for that person. Now, there's this saying, and, um, you know, listen, I don't entirely agree with this, but the whole fake it till you make it thing, you've heard that, right? There is some wisdom in that, fake it till you make it. All right, start praying for that person. You don't feel it in your heart? Well, pray until you do feel it. Father God, bless this person. I don't even feel like praying this, but bless them and take care of them. And I don't even really mean this when I'm saying it, but all of a sudden, wow, maybe God will adjust your vision. He will open the eyes of your heart that you can see that other person through his perspective. Bless, God, bless this person who has hurt me. Protect this person who has hurt me. Allow this person to prosper. Just bless them, God. Pray for that person. Three steps to forgive. Take deserve out of the equation. Choose to cancel the debt. And then pray for that person. And then repeat as needed, okay? It's like shampoo. Repeat if necessary, right? Because you might say to me, I've done these three things, but I'm still holding on it. Okay, do it again. And then do it again until that bitterness and resentment is gone. And when you can go before God and pray for that person and pray for God's blessing for that person without any hesitation, then you know you've actually forgiven that person. We, those of us who are Christians, those of us who are followers of Jesus, we choose to forgive those who have wronged us. Not because they deserve our forgiveness, but because we have been forgiven by God. We choose to forgive those who have wronged us, not because they deserve our forgiveness, but because we have been forgiven by God. And we, those of us who are followers of Jesus, we choose to cancel their debt because God has canceled our debt. So there's this very difficult and very beautiful parable that Jesus gives that illustrates this point so wonderfully. Jesus tells the story about a master. This master represents God. This master has a servant that owes him an enormous, a ridiculous amount of money. And this servant realizes there is no way. There is, I can't live long enough to pay back this debt. There is no way I can pay back this debt. And the master realizes it as well. And so this servant goes before the master and pleads his case, please forgive my debt. Please forgive my debt. Have mercy on me. Forgive that debt. And the master is filled with compassion, grace. says, I forgive your debt. The debt is paid. The debt is canceled. The debt is paid in full. That, ma- that servant goes over, and he finds one of his fellow servants that owes him a small amount of money, just a tiny amount of money, and he can't forgive the debt. He says, you got to pay back what you owe me. Pay back what you owe me. So the fellow servants see what was going on. They go back to the master and say, hey, hey, master, that guy you forgave so much from him, he's not forgiving his fellow servants. The master finds out about this. He brings the unmerciful servant back before him and says, are you kidding me? Are you serious right now? I forgave all of your debt, and you can't forgive your fellow servants the little bit that they owe you? You know how that parable ends? Master says, take this miserable, unmerciful servant out of my sight, put them in prison until he has paid back the last penny. Wow. 
That's harsh. That's harsh. Forgiveness. God wants us to forgive one another. We have been forgiven for so much, we should be able to forgive one another when they sin, when they sin against us. The Lord's Prayer, right? We go through the Lord's Prayer, and what do we say? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Sometimes you read that. Sometimes you recite that. Sometimes you pray it out loud. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us our debts. That's probably the best translation. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You know that version, that translation? It's probably the most closely accurate to the original Greek. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so some of us, we say the Lord's Prayer and we say amen, but if you keep reading in Matthew, if you keep reading a few verses beyond, you know what it says? For when we forgive others their sins against us, our Father will forgive us. But if we do not forgive others when they sin against us, our Father will not forgive us. Oh, and we think, well, Jesus, when you said that, were you serious? I think he was serious. I think he meant it. I think forgiveness, forgiving one another, I believe it matters a lot to God. And if we desire to be forgiven, we have to extend that forgiveness to our fellow servants on the cross. On the cross, the last word of Jesus, to tell us die often translated as it is finished, which is a great way to translate it in English. It makes for a great dramatic ending to the movies we watch about Jesus. Have you watched the movies about Jesus? We're on the cross. He says, it is finished. For some reason, he has an English accent. It is finished. Well, okay, that's great, right? But he really said tetelestai, an accounting term, which means the debt is paid in full. Jesus has paid our debt in full. And now we go and we forgive others, not because, hang on, Not because they deserve our forgiveness, but we forgive because we have been forgiven. We cancel the debt because our debt has been canceled. And so, we we will identify the people that we need to forgive. We will eliminate the issue of deserve. We will choose to cancel their debt. And we will pray for the people who have wronged us. And we will do all of this because forgiveness is the first step on the road to reconciliation. Let's pray. Father, in this moment, give us mindfulness concerning just how much you have forgiven. Father, God, give us humility to acknowledge that there's nothing we can do in our, our human strength and our human power to earn salvation, to earn heaven, to earn your forgiveness. Just humble us, Lord. Give us this time now. Give us this time now to think about all you've forgiven. Father, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for sending Jesus into this world to to pay off our debt, to forgive our debt. Jesus, you know the pain we experience as human beings. You know how words hurt. You know how rumors hurt. You know how we've been wronged. Every person in this room right now, you know how we've been wronged. You know where we're struggling. You know where we're holding on to bitterness and resentment. God, I know you don't want that for us. You don't want us going through this life holding on to those 
those things. God, give us a desire to forgive, a desire to let go of that bitterness and resentment. Give us a desire to forgive those who have wronged us. Father, I pray that as we depart from this space later this morning, that we will not forget how you have stirred in our hearts and allow us to do the hard work of forgiveness. Let us take deserve out of the equation. Let us choose to cancel that. Let us pray for those who have wronged us, and let us be a people who truly forgive one another. For all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.